Newcastle, New South Wales. There's a hurricane coming. Dennis Hogan, Tim Zoo. Preview two. Fire in your eyes, in your hair, fire in your The days are slipping by now as quickly as the weeks did. The teams will be going through their final preparations and for the fighters, I guess it's a case of doing what they got to do at this point. They will have their routines, they will have their rituals. In our second preview episode, we're going to take a little bit of a look at the men behind the scenes. Some of the people who help prepare the fighters, train the fighters, get them ready for battle. We're going to have a look and a listen to some of the hype and how it's gained momentum as the fight gets closer and closer. There'll be lots of other little interesting bits and pieces as we go along, a couple of very interesting people to see and hear from. But what better way to start than by having a look at the two warriors themselves, their records, what they're likely to bring and how they're likely to bring it. Now unless you've been stranded out at Uluru for the last couple of years or jettisoned in from some outer planet somewhere on the edge of the solar system you must have heard the biggest secret Australian boxing's huge secret Henswell Boxing has a secret agent who's bouncing around outside and in and about the zoo camp and I've got some information hang on a sec what's that agent Skip? he's what? Tim is what? Oh, okay, mate. Okay, listen. You better bounce. <laughs> Keep an ear out, right? Keep an ear out. I'll give you I'll give you a whistle later on. The word is just in. Irish fight fans, we might not be, we just might not be as clued in over here, but I have some news for you. Skippy's just told me. Tim Zoo is, um, well, he has a rather famous dad. Of Hall of Fame legendary Russian wrecking machine. Costa Zoo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I gotta have to poke a little bit of fun at this because, uh, yeah. Now we're told over and over and over again, this is not about him. This is about Tim. We know Tim's record: seventeen and zero as a pro. The record says thirteen KOs. We'll have a look at that in a second. He's ranked number eleven by the WBC. The amateur career, well. Nothing close, remotely close to that of his dad. About approximately 30 fights. And uh, yeah, one, I, I think won pretty much all of them. Um, he's bounced back and forth, I guess, from Australia to Russia. He's been interested in lots of different sports, basketball, this, that and the other. But I guess the last three to four years since turning pro in 2016, boxing has been his thing. That's not to be like our old pal, Ray Darcy, who likes to tell everybody he... He played a little bit of rugby once. Not at all. Now, when you look at the hype, and you listen to the bluster and the bravado that goes on around Tim Zoo, not just by the media, by fans, he feeds into it a little bit himself, if we're being honest. So, where does it come from? Who has he faced? How has he faced him? And what's he done? And who is it that has the keys to the zoo train? (laughs) He's promoted by No Limits Boxing, owned and run by the Rose Brothers. And all of this hype and these headlines, they're surprising, if not shocking, I guess. When we when we look at the other sons of famous fathers, we've got Chris Eubank, pretty much modest career in his own right. Conor Ben, he's talking like a champion, but he certainly hasn't proven anything close to it yet. And to a lesser extent, Harlem boxes more than he talks, to be fair to him. And then, of course, there's the famous 
Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Less said about that, the better. And this weekend, with the cheeky, flame-haired son of the Mancunian who derailed Zoo Sr.'s train, Campbell Hatton. In boxing terms, these guys enjoy all the headlines and spotlights earned by their dads. So what are they going to do with it? Remains to be seen. And people shouldn't forget also that the big, big, big part of pro boxing and the biggest difference in pro boxing is the business side of it. So so props to Brian, Trent, George and Matt Rose. They've worked relentlessly, tirelessly and they fed him a steady diet of beatable opponents for 14 of his first 16. But in that 16th fight, that's where he finally faced a credible opponent. It's where he faced an opponent that was actually capable of causing him a threat. At best, of beating him. Jeff Horn, of course, is the welterweight star who shocked the boxing world six years ago or so by beating Manny Pacquiao. And it's important, most important here to be real and respectful. Jeff was a welterweight when he was at his best. It was six years ago that he beat Manny. Long, long time ago. A lot of miles on the clock. A lot of training camps. Now, what I've heard about the preparation for that fight and what I saw in that fight and what I saw in the lead up to that fight. We didn't see the real Jeff Horn that night. We didn't even see 50% of Jeff Horn. And I'm just going to leave it at that out of absolute ultimate respect for a man who, who did amazing things for Australian boxing. Credit where it's due. Tim did what he had to do. He beat Jeff that was there on the night and he's moved on. No Limits Boxing are not one of the top promoters in Australia for no reason. So you get an opportunity like this, they got the opening, of course they're all over it. Of course they're getting maximum exposure from it, and rightly so. Now if the interview in the ring after the fight was anything to go by, and the um, the paper talk and all sorts of social media hype and pomp and whatever you want to call it, we were led to believe next stop for this train was a world title fight. It had to be. He's earned it, hasn't he? Has he? 17, 16 fights with no noticeable opponents. Yeah, okay, okay. So, okay, let's let's move on to that next fight. And who is it he faced again? Bone, Bone Morgan, a former sparring partner. Sub, incidentally, also a welterweight. Hmm. Maybe, maybe they know something we don't. Who knows? Let's get, let's. How did that fight go again? Well, as we got closer, he looked apart, acted apart. Talked apart, without a doubt. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe Bone Morgan is one of boxing's best-kept secrets, perhaps. Is he? No. On the night, Bone Morgan was like a startled rabbit in the headlights. And I don't mean that as any sort of an insult. The occasion, the event, everything just seemed to have got to him. He was absolutely, he just looked startled. And for the two minutes or so that the fight lasted, we were given an exhibition of big, winging, whiffing right-hand shots coming over the top. Hopefully, hopefully going to land, going to... And eventually it did. It was Nine-Night Irene. And it was on to... What was it again? Oh yeah, it was It was another... It was going to be a world title fight, wasn't it? Hmm. Okay. Now you will detect the sarcasm in my voice. Because, uh... I'm trying to make it a little bit funny. It is a little bit funny. If not ironic. And okay, maybe this next fight ain't a world title fight. It's not even a world title eliminator fight, despite what we've been told. Yet. He certainly will face the only credible opponent on his, on his record to date. 
the only opponent who is absolutely capable of bringing this hype train to a shuddering stop in its tracks. Dennis the Hurricane Hogan. And we'll have a look at Dennis in a few minutes' time, but not until we just wrap up on Team Zoo. There's no doubt the Rose Brothers have done a fantastic job building the brand, building the hype, and building the publicity behind Tim Zoo. Absolute brilliant job. And let's face it, you'd be crazy not to with a surname of somebody who is so influential, who was absolutely took the boxing world by storm, did Costa Zoo. If you never look at anything else to do with him, just take a look at the Zab Judah fight. But it's not about him, is it? Tim is managed by Glenn Jennings, who was, I believe, the long-time manager of Costa Zoo. His coaching team is made up of Igor Golubev, his uh, grandfather Boris, and a recently acquired long-time coach to Jeff Horn, Dundee Kim. We'll have a look at that a little bit later in the preview episodes. Style-wise, Tim tries hard to replicate that ferocious, aggressive style that Costa was both feared and revered for. He likes the various shots, he likes to try and disguise, but invariably look for that big right hand coming over the top of the jab. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt it carries a bit of potency. It definitely has a little bit of spice in it. But is it as powerful as Jaime Munguia? Is it as powerful as Charlo? <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. But it's like any other fight. It's like any other shot. If it lands in the right place at the right time, it can be a showstopper. When he faced Jeff Horn. He had an opponent who rushed at him like a bull. If he did manage to throw some shots, he almost fell in on top of him to smother in his work and he was always there in front of Tim to tee off him. Over and over and over again in those early rounds, he found a home for that big right hand. Stunned, hurt, really did hurt Jeff Horn. And then, for the last couple of rounds, switched the attack to the body, took away the legs, ended the fight. Against Morgan, as I said, he had a deer in the headlights. He was a small welterweight. He was scared to death. Lasted barely two minutes. And in that two minutes, how many times did we see him lose? How many times did we see Zoo's right hand miss? How many times? Closed the show with a big left. And again, in rose the hype machine behind. And takes full advantage. There's a lot of cliches in boxing. Many, many, many cliches. You'll hear them over and over again. All you got to do is switch on Sky Sports tonight and watch Dillian White and you'll hear them roll off the tongue almost like chocolate. But the one that is genuinely true in boxing is timing is everything. An absolute massive props. Credit and admiration to No Limit Boxing because they've done an absolutely brilliant job. It's almost textbook matching. It's almost textbook promotion. And it's almost textbook hype. It's incredible. They've done it in a short space of time because this Tim Zoo was due to fight uh, Jack Colke, I believe, in, no, Brubaker, in 2019. And the media at that stage were saying that if Zoo lost, where does he go? He's done, he's finished. He's nowhere to go. That's how much he was struggling back then. They've done a rebrand, they've done a relaunch, they've got behind him somehow or other and they've absolutely matched him to perfection. Brilliant stuff. But this is not an ordinary opponent he's facing. This is not just any other fella who is coming along to take a payday and cash out and say goodbye. I know my uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, comments about Team Zoo and Team Zoo probably seem like I don't have any respect. I do. I do have a lot of respect. I was absolutely 
impressed with how he went about not just the fight against um, Jeff Horn, but more so in the build-up, because he didn't know. He didn't know what the opponent was going to be like. But the way he conducted himself, he was cool as a breeze and calm. He's not as calm this time around. He's certainly not as calm. When you see the close-ups and the face-to-face and the, as the days get closer to the fight, we're going to look at that closely, really closely, in an, in a, in an upcoming episode. No matter what is said by who, Tim Zhu is, without a doubt, a live, very exciting prospect. A star in him for the future, who, who will, without a doubt, achieve great things in Australian boxing. But will he on the world scene? He's ranked 11th by the WBC. One place below who? Yes, Dennis Hogan. So who is it? Do we listen to the bookies, who are often wrong? Or the regulating bodies? So just before I wrap up this little synopsis of Tim Zoo, any other fight he's in, I'll be watching. I definitely will be watching. I enjoyed him. As I said, I enjoy what he's in. What, a little bit to look out for. He's gone from being in his early fights and up until a while ago, he was humble, he was shy, didn't like to say a whole lot. But much like Conor Ben, much like Chris Eubank Jr. in the last couple of fights, he started to talk like a seasoned pro, almost like a champion. Which he's not. What he's done, he's taken a couple of the things that his dad was well known for. The name, the right hand. He's not as fast, he's not as skilled, and he's definitely not as technically proficient. And can we genuinely talk about him in the way that some are after just three years as a pro? I let you decide that one for yourself. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that there's one or two, maybe a few more regular contributors, people who are in touch regularly, who have sent stuff in and uh, on this occasion wrote a little piece for it not so long ago. I'm talking, of course, about Benny Fallen. He's an ace man. He emigrated to Australia a few years ago. And he's been working in the mines in Perth, or thereabouts, for the, for, for some time now. And as I said, we've, we've chatted over and over again. He's been to a few of the fights, and he'll be back off duty and in the civilised world to watch the fight on Wednesday. He has been chatting to me regularly off air, and I said, look, let's, let's get something together, let's have a chat, let's get you on, and let's see what you think. Now, Benny's a, a patriotic man, his blood runs green. He's, he loves being Irish, he loves everything about it, and, but he, he embodies it, he represents it, and he's able to portray it and convey it in ways that most can't. My own experience of travelling Australia, incredible, an absolute mind-blowing time. To an Irish fella who thought he knew it all and thought he'd seen it all and thought he'd seen pretty much a lot of what it was to see and it just gave him a little tap on the shoulder and reminded me, hey Al, mate, no, not a clue, son. It's an incredible country. There's nights I used to spend in a place in Bondi Junction called the Cock and Bull. I don't know if it's still there or not, I don't know if it's still open, but uh, there was a U2 tribute band played on every Saturday night and the song you're hearing now in the background is what used to... Sneak up on me, no matter how many pints it had, no matter what it had, it would always grip me, always. And it, it, it's it's coming home to roost for this fight, really is bringing back the memories. Benny speaks a little bit of some of the fights he had himself, and how, how the Irish crowd, and how being an Irish, and what it meant to him, and how the embodiment of it, and when you are what you are without trying to be anything else, it shines. When I heard, oh, 
Despite my tunnel vision as to what I, you know, the fight in the head, that, that actually, I heard that. It reinvigorated me because it was an Irish representation. You know, it, 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 I'm, they can call in the crowd, they can call it Dennis, Dennis, Hulk, you know, Hogan, Hogan. And I guarantee you, it was not gripping the same way that the likes of You know, because it, it, it's not an individual in there. He's fighting for Ireland. He's fighting with Ireland. It's a Spanish or a Mexican song, but the Irish have just <laughs> taken it and we've made it our own and it's instantly identifiable. <laughs> it might as well be the national anthem. It's indescribable to have Irish support. And again, it's not being biased. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, right now, we're not better than anybody else. Than any, you know, we don't see ourselves in that way. But with, with fighting especially, because it is so symbolic of our race, it just, it surges through you like, I, I can't describe. You know, and Dennis will feel that, you know, and especially the crowd will see that if for whatever reason he looks like he needs that jolt of energy, or <laughs> they will be able to bend out or something, and he'll feel revitalized. You're not going to be able to breed fighting out of virus people. Wherever we go, we've had to fight for everything we've had, be it at home or be it abroad. We've always had to fight. And fighting, um, but again, by fighting, it don't mean violence. You know, we've always been the underdog, the oppressed. You know, we've always had to earn everything. And that's exactly what Dennis is going to do next Wednesday. He's not going in there with an air of expectancy of victory. In that, you know, he feels like he's entitled to it. He will earn it. Tim feels like he's entitled to victory. And that will be the difference. You know, he has to establish a sense of independence. But the romanticism behind it has brought the hype train. You know, we're, we're, we're very realistic in what we expect of our, of our sports people full stop. We don't have these lofty expectations. All we want from any of our sports people is to just give everything they have. And I general, genuinely think that every Irish person, especially who gets between the ropes, gives everything they have. It's not a pressure on us. The, the level of support we find, you know, the numbers, the volume behind us, that's not a pressure. It's actually a privilege, you know, because we know we will not let the people down. And even, you know, all we have to do is just go in and give it our all. To be honest, a lot of other countries with their star performers, etc., they can go in and give it their all and they'll still get criticised or they'll get dropped off or, they, you know, they'll have people try to take them down. We don't take each other down from the inside. We don't. You know, like I said to you, there may be levels to this game, but there's no level to what Irish sport is. It doesn't change, despite the results. If Dennis loses, crushing her in, but you know, if the result doesn't go as well on Wednesday, there's no level of support that will drop off. But whereas if Tim loses on Wednesday, believe you me, <laughs> the high grade, like you said, will be due right. The expression, when you know, you know. Yeah, and that's... if you take away Tim to do his name, if Tim was named Tim Smith, yeah. oh, yes. and you weighed out their two credentials, Love that. the bookmakers wouldn't be doing what they're doing. When the bell rings, quite often the personality gets expressed. His fight will be based on self-belief, on hard work, and that was, that was the intent. We do export our greatest resource. We do. And do you know what? We, we are all over the world. We're going to be an Irish passport. And everywhere we go, we represent our country with pride, and we fight for everything. We fought for everything we've got everywhere we go. If I may, I'm going to quote the great JFK. Ireland's greatest resource 
Dennis Hogan is one fella who needs no introduction on this podcast, but but he's going to get one anyways. I was fortunate enough to connect with Dennis early in the podcast days, and something resonated with me. Something resonated. He was he was able to explain a lot of stuff that I didn't understand at the time personally, and things that were going on, and uh, what was to be a fifteen minute phone call then developed into an hour, almost an hour and a half. It was the first, shall we say, the first of a nine, first 90 minute phone call that we shared, uh, the first of absolute many. He rolled out to me the fight plan against Munguia back in the day, stage by stage. And um, as I said before and said it many times before, as I sat watching that fight in the dark in my jocks on a cold night in Ireland, in the dark, all on my own, I was absolutely bewildered, gobsmacked how the fight plan unfolded the exact way at the exact times that he said it would and how it would. Um, that's a long time, seems a long time ago now, seems a long time ago and at that time he was being ridiculed by some, he was being written off by others in much the same fashion that he has been for this fight. For some reason that seems to have slipped out of people's consciousness, it slips out of the mind for now but that's fine, that's fine. He's boxed almost as long as he's lived. Introduced to the sport, of course, by his legendary grandfather, Paddy Burke. Uh, there will be a regular section here in the future on the podcast to pay respect and to remember such figures, such influential figures. But Paddy Burke was head coach in the Nace Boxing Club at the time. And you got to remember, boxing in Ireland in those days was very, very different very different and while it's seen now as a marginal sport and a niche sport and doesn't get much love from the powers that be it was even more so then they boxed pretty much clubs were allowed to train or forced to train not forced but they, they could only train really where uh, wherever they could wherever would give them the use of the premises and whatever else and in those days Nace Boxing Club were training in an old army barracks in Nace which is it's gone now. I think the site might be still there, but there's there's no barracks, there's nobody in it. They've all been moved off site to other bases. But the young seven year old Hogan went along there in those days with his grandfather to every session and, and that's where he learned that love, that grow, that passion and that and learned what it is to work hard and the need, the must to to work hard and forge the tools and the character that's needed to step into the ring at any age. Fast forward to now, he's ranked 10th in the world by the WBC. Interestingly enough, above his next opponent. Hold that thought. His record stands 28-3-1. and one. And of course, one of those losses uh, was deemed to be in Monterey to Munguia, despite what a naive or, or maybe just ignorant Zoo has to say about that. We'll leave it there for the time being. Despite boxing being an integral part of his life from those early days, he did play a lot of other sports, found himself moving around, as, as tends to be the case in Ireland. Kids tend to move around, try different things, and invariably then, if there is a great love or a great crawl, comes back to whatever that may be, and for him it was always boxing. So despite the fact he may have venture away and find something else to do for a little while, boxing was always the base that came back to. Amateur days, he represented the Grange Con Club. He boxed 
at all the different levels, all, all the way up through along the ranks and all through the ages. He represented Ireland in the green vest. And in those days, he was a qualified chippy. Like many others around that time, he was forced to make a decision during one of the many recessions that we've had in this country over the years. He took his dreams and hopes and without too many expectations to Australia. A country which I can confirm absolutely opens the mind, opens everything. It gives you life experience. It gives you a whole different perspective on how the world really is when you're coming from Ireland at a time like that, at any time. We think here Ireland is modern, it's moving, it's fast. It's not. It's not. It's not even in the same realm. But it was. it's a fantastic country and if you're anyway sports orientated, if that's what your scene is, if that's what you're into, it's probably even better again. Between the climate, between the facilities, everything they have is geared towards the life of a professional. What he did carry in those formative days as, a, as an early professional fighter was a promise to his grandfather. And that was, he was to pass away not long after Dennis's pro debut. I think he had a couple of fights into his, his career. He passed away. And it's safe to say that the promise that he made to that man and the changes that he made on that day and that from that time onwards has taken his career on a whole different trajectory. It has seen him get to the very summit, the very pinnacle of world boxing. And it's seen him represent not just Ireland, but there are a certain element of fight fans in Australia over the last few weeks and months who have maybe forgotten who it was that was representing them on the world stage. That's sometimes easy to forget all the good work and all the decent, honourable representation and everything else that's good about this game that's been done when something flash and loud and new rolls into town. But, but the real boxing fans don't forget. They never forget. In coaching terms, he's worked with a couple of different head coaches. Uh, he's had various different levels of success with each of them. He's moved up through the ranks, he's moved up along the levels, and he's now trained by Irish and Belfast boxing legend Wayne McCullough. I'm absolutely delighted, honoured, and at times puzzled as to how I was able to play a small part in that, having introduced the two of them, suggested to the two of them, and step back and let them discuss and negotiate, and and fair to say click. And when I say they've clicked, they have really, really clicked. You're going to read a lot of column inches over the next few days in the Australian media as they choose to push the bright, shiny new toy that is Tim Zoo. But I can tell you one thing for certain. There is no questions, there is no cracks, there is no doubts, there is no nothing between Wayne McCullough and Dennis Hogan, regardless of the distance, regardless of the COVID lockdown terms and conditions and everything else. The bond is real. The connection is real. And the lineage and the link to coaches like Eddie Futch, who worked directly hands-on with Ken Norton, Joe Fraser, and all those boxing legends, has it been passed on to Wayne McCullough, who is in turn now ingraining it in Dennis Hogan. So, read what you like, believe what you like, but the facts don't lie. And the facts tell you that Eddie Futch is arguably, arguably, the greatest coach in boxing history. That'll keep for another day also. And it was he who stated of all the fighters he's coached, all the world champions, all the different boxers that he's coached over the years, Wayne McCullough will be the one to go on to coach a world champion. Now as the fight gets closer and as the hype train gets a little bit more intense, you will hear a couple of attempts maybe by the opponent's camp to draw Dennis out and to try and suck him into a level of of whatever that is that we know is below. Hogan's career 
was built on starting off at the very, very, very bottom. Selling tickets around fans, going around selling tickets to friends for shows, building his career from the ground up. And that very fact and that very grounding and that very humble beginning is what endears him to fans all over the world. He's old school, he's never forgotten it, and he's not likely to either. He's promoted by DDP, his friends and partners Danny Demas and Paul Keegan, and together they've just been brilliant. They've grown, they've grown Dennis's career, they've grown a couple of other fighters' careers, some of whom are still with them, some of them have moved on, but they've played an honest, genuine part in developing fighters and giving them the opportunity to a platform to fight on and to grow from. And it's even more amazing when you think then that they've co-promoted big, big fights in the likes of Monterey and New York and places like that, Barclays Centre, with Golden Boy Promotion. So it just gives you, there's there's so many different layers and levels to this Hogan story and dream. It just makes it all the more special. I think it's fair to say, throughout the spells he's had with a couple of coaches, his style has developed and it's improved. And some may say he has no power. I'm not sure why or where that myth has come from. I genuinely don't, because you've got to really ask yourself a question. Why was Jaime Munguia, who is rated and considered to be one of the biggest, hardest punchers in the world, why was he so reluctant to engage and on so many occasions when he knew and saw the fight was slipping away from him? Mm. No power. We'll see. We'll see. Dennis's style, I guess you could say it's a high octane. It's high energy. He's technical. And he ha- he can he can box and he can fight and will do wherever he needs to do it. And whatever the distance, Hogan is capable of causing panic. He's able to cause frustration and he can force mistakes and errors from the very, very best opponents in the world. So what's that going to do for a prospect? Arguably, his greatest attribute is his mental resolve. A steely fortitude that's almost eerie at times. And regardless of what's going on around him, Dennis has an innate ability to go to a level that's just a little bit above, just a little bit away from what's going on around him, whether it's shit-talking opponents, whether it's baiting by background teams from other opponents, whatever the case may be. He's able to take himself to to a level that's just away from what's going on and apply a coolness, a calmness and a professionalism that just endears him to everybody and anybody who has had the pleasure of watching and following him over the last few years. There is something very special. There's a there's a there's a symbolism, there's a representation, there's a an ideology that Irish people take with them all around the world. It's identifiable, it's instantly identifiable. It's unique very, very unique. And it without doubt stirs emotions, passions and feelings within you that you sometimes didn't even know existed when you travel abroad as an Irish person. I can speak from experience. I would never have been... I wouldn't have been the sort of climb up on the table, beat your chest and tell the whole world that I'm Irish. I wouldn't be one of those uh, plastic rebels who pretend to be... Ever, I, maybe a little bit at one time, but when you grow up... That, that tends to be get left behind. But when you're in a different country and when you're in a far off country, way away from all the ones that you hold dearest and nearest, those, those, um, those passions come out very, very strong. And when one of our own 
is going to battle, when one of our own is boxing and fighting, and when one of our own is carrying that tricolour to the ring, and when he represents, and when you can see so many of your own traits, when you can see that humility, you can see that toughness, that want, that hunger, that willingness to drive yourself on to another level, that so many behind wish and dream of doing, well then he doesn't just carry his own dreams with him, he doesn't just carry his own hopes with him. At times, at times, he's embodying the spirit, the mysticism, and everything that went before of those famous Irish warriors. And it's hard to put into words at times. It really is hard to put into words. There's one thing you're going to hear Team Hogan say for this fight and for every other fight. When you know, you know. And, And I think, again, I keep saying this, if you don't get boxing, if you don't understand it, that's okay, that's fine. There's many, many who don't. And they will never get it. If you don't get it, you'll never get it. And that's cool. But when you can tune into it, and when you can... You can just feel it. And you know it. It's special. But when a fighter feels it, and when a fighter climbs through that ropes, when they make that walk, when they hit the sticky, tough, horrible parts of the fight where you got it, where you have to get up off the floor when you can't, where you have to curl your toes into the canvas dig in and swing for the hills just to see that last bell just as we did with Tim in the previous piece we'll have a look at the corner team for the for the fight on Wednesday night of course head coach Wayne won't be there unable to get the exemptions required for Covid lockdown that's why Australia is as good as it is right now as far as Covid goes they're improving they're awful shame we can't do the same here in Ireland at the moment but the man who has been working with Dennis all the way along, not just with Wayne, but in his time, of course, with Glenn Rushton and the previous setup, Stephen Edwards will step up from number two. He's been there the whole way through it. He knows Dennis. He knows him inside out. He knows the form. He knows how it goes. He'll take over as number one for the night, of course, in close, in, in, in very close contact for the last few months. It's been portrayed a little bit differently in the papers, but listen, as the saying goes, when you know, you know. Dennis uh, rang me. He was going to part company with Glenn and his next few fights would be in the United States. To do that, he would he would need a trainer in the States. He asked if I would continue to be his cut man, which I said, you know, I, I would, that work out what he wants to do and then let me know. Over the years, he had a, a period where he, he wasn't fighting, but, but he would still come to the gym at Stretton and Spa and, and whether it's against Jeff or whether it's against um, Cameron Hammond or Nathan Webber, and um, Glenn would ask me to look after his cor- Dennis's corner when he was doing that. So I sort of got to know Dennis and he felt comfortable with me doing his corner. And, um, and then he went over to the States with, with Wayne McCullough. They had a fight lined up with Julian Williams in December last year. And then four weeks out from the fight, uh, Julian Williams got COVID and the fight was off. So Dennis was back to Australia and then his management made contact with Tim Zhu's management to say, hey, look, we've, you know, our fight's fallen through. Have you guys got anything? Would you be interested in making the fight? A few weeks, the, the, the fight was made. I think even in the middle of quarantine, he realised this fight was potentially made. He, he, went, he went back to start doing his cardio. and Wayne won't be coming over for the fight. It's, it's uh, very challenging during this COVID period to make all of the pieces fall together. From the start of the preparation, I've been assisting Wayne running things here in Australia for Dennis's prep in liaison with Wayne. The sparring we, we've been doing, all of the videos get sent over and then there's a, a discussion between Wayne and myself 
about little things we need to keep working on or, or adding in. On the fight night, Wayne, Wayne won't be there. So, you know, those um, basically reinforcing the instructions of, of how we want to um, approach the fight, approach each round, and any adaptations during the fight um, are, are going to fall on my shoulders. And there's nobody better placed than Stephen on the night to, to step into the shoes and to lead the line. He's, of course, also got Zach, who's done a massive amount of pad work with him over the last few years. And he's got Mucky, S&C, another guy who's been there from, from for a long, long time. And he's a huge part of what Dennis does. And just to close out this little section and this for this episode, what you got to remember and what people, what I want people to think about is that in Ireland, there is a tendency to sit back and rest on our laurels. There's a tendency to admire our work. There's a tendency at times, some, some, depending on the level that they want to operate on and what it is they're doing, whether it's playing a team sport or whether it's in a job, that sometimes they've just, everything becomes comfortable. Or to live on an achievement of a, of a football team from fado fado, which for anybody that's not Irish is Irish for long ago. Um, that doesn't happen too often in boxing and it certainly doesn't happen with Dennis Hogan Manny would have expected and wouldn't have been surprised if if he threw the toys out of pram after what happened in Monterey and certainly after what happened against Charlo the way the fight unfolded and the way it finished and those who know know knew that wasn't going to happen and in Dennis Hogan we have a guy who pushes the boundaries who resets the limits all the time he makes bigger expectations. He has bigger criticisms of himself than anybody else can ever imagine. Don't forget to jump across there to Violent Gentleman on Facebook. My man Ross. The fastest growing brand in boxing. The one that all the fighters are drawn to. It's the, probably the most relative, in my opinion, to the sport of boxing itself. Most countries uh, send out oil, Orion, steel, or gold, or some other crop. But Ireland has had only one export, and that's been people. And I come to this island, which has been identified with that effort for a thousand years, which was the first country in the 20th century to lead what is the most powerful tide of the 20th century, the desire for national independence, the desire to be free. So Ireland is still old Ireland, but it's found a new mission. To do in the 60s, what Ireland did in the early part of this century, and indeed it's done for the last 800 years, and that is associated intimately with independence and freedom.